Welcome to the Rare Faith Podcast, where the solution to every problem is only an idea away, and where the same activity with just a little more awareness always yields better results. Award-winning, best-selling author, Leslie Householder, brings some of her best information to this inspiring series of life-changing episodes that you won't want to miss. Show notes for this episode can be found at ararekindoffaith.com. Leslie Householder here. Welcome, everyone. Ma'am, thank you, and I hope you'll give us your website. Okay, where are you calling from? You've got a cute accent. Oh, my goodness. Everybody says I'm so country. I'm from Dallas, Texas. Excellent. Thank you. (laughs) Anybody else want to say hi? Hi. Hi, where are you calling from? Columbus, Ohio. Awesome. Hi, from Las Vegas. Las Vegas, great. David's from Los Angeles. Welcome. This is CJ from Maryland. Thank you. Welcome. Tony um, from New York. New York. I just got back from a trip to New York. Oh, We've got you. 5 o'clock straight up or 8 o'clock Eastern. Welcome to tonight's class. This is the 19 Rules of Prosperity, How to Get From Here to Where You Want to Be. My name is Leslie Householder, and I'm really excited to share with you some powerful ideas that have changed my own life tremendously. I'm going to assume that everybody on the call has never met me, doesn't know anything about me. Those of you who maybe do... You're going to have to forgive it, but you might hear a couple stories you've already heard before. But these are key stories that have helped thousands of people make a big change in their life. And so I'm excited to share those with you. A little bit of history. For nearly a decade, my husband and I struggled in a really bad way to make ends meet. And I'm not going to bore you with another one of those stories. I will share a couple pieces of it. We became seminar junkies because we had some friends of ours who saw how badly we were struggling financially, and they knew that a lot of those problems could be remedied pretty quickly and pretty easily if we changed our mindset. Now, they didn't come right out and say that, but looking back, I can see that they invited us to different events and different seminars and invited us to read certain books because they knew that it would help. And each one we read, each event we attended, gave us a little piece of the puzzle. And it didn't take us long to realize that, you know what, I believe there is something to this think positive business. I really think there's something to it, but how do I make it work for me? How do I start to see results from it? How can I go from just believing there's something to it and doing my best to try to think positively all the time, which is, I don't know, I'd like to say it's impossible. I know it can't be completely impossible because nothing's impossible, but, you know, we're mortal. We're human beings and we have emotions and we have reactions to those emotions, and it's a lifelong pursuit. So how do we take these principles, implement them, and see some change in our life? Because that's really what we're here for. I'll bet there's something that each one of you listening to this call, you came hoping that it could help you achieve that goal or overcome this challenge, whatever it is that you came for. After about seven years of attending seminars, my husband and I, he was committed. You know, each one helped us feel a little bit more confident in where we were going, but, you know, there comes a point where you're spending more money on seminars than on groceries, and if the results aren't showing up, it can wear you thin, emotionally, financially. You know, I look back on those years, and I'm grateful for all of those events we attended because it kept us hoping, and really, hope is the poor man's bread. It's what kept us going. When hope is gone, everything implodes. So if that's all you get from an event or a book is a little more hope, it gives you the fuel to keep going to the next step until all of the answers eventually come into place. Now, I'm going to go through this really quickly, and I want you to just kind of relax and listen because I'm going to tell you where to get a free copy of this information near the end. So you won't have to take notes furiously unless something just strikes you. If anything, and if you're going to take notes at all, I want you to take notes on any sparks of ideas on solutions to your present challenge that might come to your mind. It probably won't be anything that I say directly, but if a thought comes to your mind because you're here in this environment of enlightenment and empowerment and a spark comes into your head, write that down. Those are the kind of notes that I would want you to take. Now, after about seven years of attending events and just feeling frustrated and weary and, you know, every time another event would come up, The first thought was, well, how much is this going to cost? And can we really afford it? No, of course we can't afford it. We haven't been able to afford any of them. That's why we need to go. I mean, this was the rationale we kept kind of going through, is if we can't afford to go to this event, that's why we need to be at the event, which is 
counterintuitive, and I tell you, you really have to put faith and tenacity to the test and sacrifice in order to get the information you're looking for sometimes, and we did that. And at one point, though, after about seven years of this, I was depressed. I had two children at the time. We were in a seedy little apartment that was depressing. It was in an environment that depressed me. It was dirty. It was small. And I couldn't see any way out. And in fact, we had moved to that location certain that that was going to be the beginning of our new life and things going better and things actually only got worse. So one day I go outside and on the ground in front of me is my broom and it has been busted in half by a neighbor kid. And that was the last straw. And, you know, problem, broomstick is broken. Solution, you could probably think of a hundred solutions on how to solve a broken broomstick. My first thought was, well, I don't have $7 to replace this broomstick. And I wasn't thinking rationally. I was in a very emotional, depressed state, and I called the police on the kid who broke my broom. That's where my mindset was. And so along comes another seminar. And I say, you know what, honey, I can't justify it, but something inside of me knew I had to be there. You've had those feelings before where something is just drawing you. You know the answers are there, but the obstacles to get there are just too huge, and you just don't have it in you to do it. Well, that voice inside kind of won, and I consented, all right, honey, I'll just go to this last one, but this is it. If something significant doesn't come from this, if things don't change in a big way after this, I'm done. I don't care if nothing ever changes. I'm just going to have to learn how to be happy right here in this poverty. It's a hard time. It's a hard time. And in fact, I'll share another little quick story about something that happened in that apartment a little bit later as I get into the 19 rules. So this seminar comes along, and we go. And miraculously, that was the one that did make all the difference. I remember just looking at my husband, and both of us, we were sitting there with our mouths dropped open. And it was like, so this is all it is? That's how the universe operates? We were stunned. While each of the previous seminars had danced around the topic of positive thinking, this one explained to us why it was important and what was actually going on behind the scenes when we choose to do what we've been told for years. It wasn't all hyped up. It wasn't rah-rah, you can do it. It was very to the point with information that made me understand like never before why knowledge is power. And within three or four months of consciously choosing our thoughts according to those laws, our income more than tripled. Now, that's a big deal. At least it was for us. But I found out that it works for little things too. And if you have enough of those little experiences, it can give you the courage to go for the bigger ones as well. Now, my first little experiment, conscious little experiment, I look back and I can see a lot of times when I was actually using the laws and principles unconsciously, not necessarily on purpose and how things worked out at that time, but I didn't know what I was doing and I would not have been able to duplicate it, let alone teach someone else how to do it because I didn't know what I had done. But the first little experiment came from wanting a really big chunky wooden headboard for a queen bed at my house. I didn't have the money for it. I couldn't justify spending any money on it anyway, but applied the principles, and one day as I'm driving into town, I came to a fork in the road, and either fork, left or right, would have gotten me to town, but I normally went right, and something said, go left. I'm like, okay, just something inside. It wasn't audible or anything. It was just a thought. Maybe you should go this way today, and I didn't have any reason not to, so I turned left, went down this hill, came up over this bend, and out to the side of the road was a massively large, big, chunky wooden headboard and a footboard out for the trash. And I pulled over, and I jumped out of my car, and I ran up to the door, and I knocked, and this woman came to the door, and I says, are you getting rid of that? She goes, yeah, you know, and I think she was concerned that the trash people wouldn't pick it up because it didn't fit in the bin. And I said, can I have it? And she said, well, sure. And I threw my arms around her. And I gave her a hug, and I said, thank you so much. And I had to go arrange for some larger vehicle to bring it home. But I was so excited, not because I had a big wooden headboard and a footboard, but it was because I knew it works. It worked. Oh, my word. And it wasn't that hard. Yeah, it took some mental discipline. Yeah, it took some tenacity of faith, believing in something that you can't see longer than what is comfortable, longer than what is reasonable, and testing those faith muscles. 
But the following ideas that I'm going to be sharing with you, the 19 rules, they've been extracted from my award-winning best-selling book titled The Jackrabbit Factor, Why You Can. Now, The Jackrabbit Factor is a story which teaches the principles of success in a unique way. You know, it's different. It's about this family, the Goodmans, a couple, who have come to the end of their financial rope. And Felicity, she slips up. She berates Richard for his inability to provide for the family. And defeated, he disappears into the woods behind his home. But Felicity, she's afraid that he's going to end his life because she's never seen him act the way he's acting that day. But really what's happened is Richard's embarked on a journey where he discovers the secrets behind the voice of inspiration, you know, that little voice that said, turn left, to me that day. So the book is all about where's he gone, what's required of Felicity before she's able to find him because she's got to learn these lessons too in her own world. And so as you read the story, you're going to feel new hope. But in the meantime, let's discuss some of the lessons that he learns along the way. These are the 19 rules. Now, again, and you may want to just write this down now in case I forget to mention it, but these rules are also available at 19, the number 19, 19rulesofprosperity.com. It's just a free download. You can go request it, and these rules will come in summary form to your email address. So that's 19, the number 19, rules, R-U-L-E-S, of prosperity, P-R-O-S-P-E-R-I-T-Y.com. Rule number one, so again, you don't have to write these down unless you want to, but rule number one is I will decide what do I want. And that's rule number one because these principles and laws, they're always in motion, they're always affecting us, they're always influencing what happens to us. But if we want things to change in our life and we want different results than what we're getting, we need to become conscious of what we're asking for. You know, we go around saying, well, I don't want to run out of money. Well, I don't want to be at this job. Well, I don't want to have this horrible kind of relationship. thing is, is life, it has a sense of humor, but it's not very funny. That when you have a lot of energy and intention or attention on something that you hate or that you don't want, that's what you're going to get more of. And you've probably heard that before, but I realized that my depression and my anger and my bitterness towards the way life had been turning out was only creating more of it and spiraling me downward. And when I realized that I could put the same kind of energy and emotion behind things that I want and have it turn directions and start improving instead, number one, I was depressed because I realized, oh my gosh, you know, I'm partially to blame. Or I should say I was completely responsible for the results I was getting. But at the same time, I could look at the positive side of that and say, well, if that's true, then I can choose where I want my life to go. Number one, decide what you want. There's a corollary to each of these rules, and I'll read those as well. I will spend time deciding exactly what I want and why. I'll set aside all the reasons it may seem impossible and all the reasons I think it may fail while I allow myself to imagine a wonderful new picture for my life. So here's the other story I wanted to share with you at that location where I called the cops on the kid who broke my broom. One day I was so depressed, I decided, you know what, I'm sick of all these speakers telling me, dream big, think positive, picture what you want. You know, it starts to get so cliche, and it wasn't working for me, and so I was mad. And I decided, I'm just going to go to bed, picture what I want, fine, I will. I'll just go to bed and picture what I want all day long, under the covers. You know, I'm just going to put it over my head, and I'm going to pretend like I have the life I want in my head. If I can't have it in reality, I'm just going to go inward and live it there. And the kids can find their own food, and I don't care what happens. And part of me was saying, Leslie, has it really come to this? You are so pathetic. Someone should just come put a straitjacket on you right now and haul you away. So I had been hearing for seven years, picture what you want. And I'd always think, yeah, 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 but what do I do? Picture what you want. Okay, got that, but what do I, what do, I do next, really? What do I do? Picture what you want. And so that day when I went to bed and I decided to picture myself living in the life I really wanted, ultimately what I was doing, I was trying to come up with an answer to this question. Write this one down. Answer this question. What would it feel like if, or what would it feel like when, like if you're dreaming of being in a different kind of environment, you know, we were living in a place that wasn't very safe. And so I had to ask myself, well, what would that feel like to belong and be living in this nicer kind of area? How would I feel? What would that feel like? And instead of just picturing it like I'm watching a TV show, I put myself in it. What would that feel like? Because that was the question I was trying to answer. And that is a hard 
question to answer. The answer is not, oh, it'd be great. Oh, that'd be wonderful. No, those are words. What's the feeling? How does it feel? It can take several minutes to trick yourself into believing that you're actually there in order to get an answer to that question, a real feeling kind of answer. That is what I did. I went to bed and I asked myself, what would it feel like to be in a home of my own? What would it feel like to have a home that had a runaround where the kids can run in this way and come out the other way? You know, my mom taught me that that was very important when you're raising children to not have just only dead ends in the house, but that there should be a roundabout somewhere, like into the living room and around the kitchen. (laughs) And so I was picturing all these details. All the details I had wasn't a whole lot. It was kind of vague. But I allowed myself to answer the question, how would it feel? And I could see my kids running up from behind me and coming in the door like I was coming home from getting groceries or something. And I just pretended like I was there, thinking that I was being pathetic. When in reality, I was doing exactly what they'd been telling me to do for seven years, that I always just kind of brushed off as, yeah, I'll get around to that, or yeah, I do that all the time. No, I really hadn't done that yet. So here's the thing. I planted the seed that day. and One year from then, remember I'd been going seven years of downward spiral, after that day, in one year from that day, we were living in a home of our own with a roundabout. Now, I didn't put two and two together at that point. It wasn't for two more years that I learned what I needed to know to look back on that and say, oh my word, that had something to do with it. There was something to that. And here's the thing. I didn't know I planted a seed. So do you think I went around the next day wondering, ooh, I wonder if that worked. Ooh, I wonder if anything's happening to bring that dream to me. Oh, I wonder if I did it strong enough. I wonder if I did it long enough. I wonder if I saw it clearly enough. That's pulling the seed out when you question those kinds of things. I just simply planted a seed, didn't know I planted one, so I didn't pull it out. I didn't think I had done anything. And so it was a seed that grew. Now, you know, one disadvantage for teaching you how to do this consciously because it's going to be tough to go have an experience like this and trust that you planted a seed and not wonder if it worked. Did it work? Is it working? Yeah, if you felt it, if you answered the question, oh, my gosh, that's how it would feel. Even if it lasts for a split second, you've planted it. Leave it alone. Don't go dig up the seed every day to see if it's sprouted yet. Leave it there. Leave it there. You know, some seeds just don't need constant attention. They don't. Out here, palm trees grow without anybody giving them any attention. You know, we have to pull them up because they grow kind of like weeds. I know that those of you who live in other parts of the country that have real foliage (laughs) and thick foliage and a lot of rain, you know that seeds grow without a lot of attention. Nature takes care of it. And nature can take care of your dreams, too. That was rule number one. And holy cow, we're already 20 minutes into this, so I'm going to have to go a little faster. Rule number two, I know that the passionate thoughts will emanate from my mind like radio waves, causing unseen things to happen in my behalf. I will enjoy success in my mind. I will feel the victory now. And I will know that these constructive thoughts are my little soldiers sent out to fight my battles ahead of me. They are preparing the way. Let me show you a quick story. After we'd experienced this breakthrough and I started teaching what we had learned, I was writing a book. It was The Jackrabbit Factor, actually. And I had already written one book called Hidden Treasures. And one of my goals was I'm a best-selling author. And that was a goal that I set long before I ever thought it was even possible. To me, that was just a pipe dream. And I thought, holy cow, I wouldn't even know where to begin to be a best-selling author. But as I was writing The Jackrabbit Factor in the manuscript at the top of the first page, I had written my goal statement of everything that I was working on, everything that I wanted to accomplish. And part of that said, I am a best-selling author. Present tense, by the way. Not I will be one because will be insinuates it's always in your future, so put it in present tense. And as I was writing, I described the house we were going to live in and I described the kind of family life we enjoyed and Part of that was I'm a best-selling author, and that statement I repeated in the text about seven times because I knew that repetition was going to have to really get that one into my head. It was the only thing on my list that was totally outrageous and unbelievable to me. So I had it in there time and time again, knowing that if I say a lie to myself often enough, I'll start to believe it, and that's what needed to happen here. So as I'm writing The Jackrabbit Factor, about a month later that I wrote that statement, I got an email from somebody 
And he said, hey, I just came across your book, Hidden Treasures. I just wanted you to know it's fantastic. I think you've got a bestseller here. And I said, well, thank you very much. I appreciate that. But really, I'm working on a book right now, and that's going to be my bestseller. Which, by the way, kind of ironic, but Hidden Treasures is a bestseller as well. I didn't really put any effort on that one. It's been on the Amazon bestseller list for Oh, at least nine months. I just checked again and it was back on there again. These things can happen without a whole lot of energy and attention. You plant the seed. But anyway, he said, well, okay, Jackrabbit Factor, great. He says, I'm working with Jack Canfield on his book campaign for Success Principles. We're working on getting that to bestseller status. Wondered if you'd like to join our team and help out with that. And I had no clue what he was talking about. I didn't know how that would work or what it looked like. But I said, sure, be happy to help. So I helped with that campaign, and when it was over, I thought, really? That's all you have to do? I could do that. And so I duplicated what I saw them do, and Jackrabbit Factor became a bestseller. Now, I think about what brought that man to my website. I didn't go looking for him. He showed up because I did what I could do. I set the intention, and I got to work, and I trusted that the right people, that unseen things were going to happen on my behalf, and they did. Rule number three, I know there is no obstacle so great that there is not also a way prepared for me to succeed. There's always a way. If I can see it in my mind and if it does not violate anyone else's free agency, then it is possible. I will not give up until I find the way. Find the way. You've got a goal. You're wondering how you're going to do it. Find the way. Seek and you'll find. It's someone who says, I want to accomplish this goal and I'm not sure if there's a way. You're not going to find it. Believe there's a way and go find it. For example, here's another quick story. We lived in California for some time, and our heart and our home was really in Arizona because that's where my husband grew up and that's where I went to high school. So as we lived in California, we enjoyed the experience there, but we always knew that one day we'd want to get back to Arizona when we could afford it and when we could afford to live where we wanted to live in Arizona. And after learning these principles and seeing them work, we thought, oh, my gosh, we really can have anything we want. We want to be in Arizona. Let's make it happen. And we had learned that you just go for it. You don't worry about the how or the what fors. You just do what you can do. And what we could do was put our house up for sale, go find a house in Arizona, put it under contract. And we figured, really, my husband was commuting for two and a half hours each way when we lived in California. And we realized that if he just hopped on a plane every day or at least once a week, he would get to come home within an hour instead of two and a half hours if we lived in Arizona because it's faster to fly to Arizona than it is to drive home in California. So that was the plan. We were just going to do a long-distance commute until we could find work for him in Arizona that would pay enough. So we put the house up for sale. We found another home in Arizona, and we just went for it. And we said our goodbyes. I mean, we were determined. We didn't see how it was going to work. We just knew it would. And our house wouldn't sell. It wouldn't sell. It wouldn't sell. And we thought, what is going on? This is supposed to work. You're supposed to just be tenacious and make things happen, and it wasn't working out. So we thought, well, maybe maybe there's a better way. Remember, we're supposed to find a way. And so we thought, well, what if we take the time to, let's see, he was commuting. I started looking for properties that I could purchase no money down and flip for a profit. That was what I was going to do. And so I was learning how to do this. I had a coach coaching me, and I'd invested in that personal assistant, and I had managed to get one house, and we thought, well, if we get 10 more homes, let them appreciate, then we'd be able to cash out on all of them and move to Arizona and live in the house we really want and be able to have whatever kind of work we needed to do. It wouldn't have to be anything in particular. So that was the plan, and we figured it would take about three years to make that happen, and we felt peace about that, so we went for it. Well, what happened was I only was able to pick up one other property. I was expecting uh, my sixth child. It was busy. We were crazy running around, and I picked up one property, not ten. And in eight months, the market went through the roof, and those two properties that we had did what we thought we'd need ten for. And so after eight months, we were able to sell them, and we were able to move to Arizona with uh, more than $250,000 cash tax-free to set up our home in Arizona. And, you know, I look back on that and I think how grateful I am that we didn't set the intention to move and make it happen and have it work right away. I believe God knew that we had eight months before the market was going to be in our favor. And thankfully, the house didn't sell. So when things go wrong, 
Be thankful. You don't have to know why, but you can trust that everything is working for your benefit. And as you expect that, things do. Rule number four, I know that I have all I need to get started, and that's all that matters. Like an acorn in the ground, I will act on my immediate surroundings. In time, my connections will lead me to obtain all I need to accomplish my grand design. Think of an acorn in the ground. Suppose in order for it to become a mighty oak, it needs a certain particle that happens to be two feet away from it down in the ground. Does it rush over there and wiggle down and try to go get that particle? No, it holds itself still. It holds itself still, and it's got this pattern plan inside of it to become a mighty oak, and it resonates with the particles that are in direct contact with it. Say there's a million particles in direct contact with it. It resonates with the ones it needs and leaves the rest alone. And it sprouts the roots. And those little shoots go down, and particle by particle, it joins with the next immediate particle next to it. And just like that, we are like acorns. Everything you need is in your immediate surroundings. You don't have to chase around anywhere. You don't have to frantically go searching. Your environment already has everything you need to take the next step. And the next step is all you're required to take. Rule number five, I will write it down. I will submit my goal to what I'd like to call the master chef. If you think about going to a restaurant, you place your order. And it's similar to this whole thing. You've got to know what you want. You can't go to the restaurant and say, well, I don't want this and I don't want that. See if you can please me. You have to be specific. The sub piece to this is I will expect my results to come just as I ordered. Therefore, I will be careful to be completely specific in my description. The more specific the desire, the more amazed I will be when it comes. And as a result, I will know that its realization was no coincidence. I'm continually grateful to the master for all I receive. Writing it down is just an exercise in getting clarity. Can it happen without writing it down? Sure. But clarity and intention is the real catalyst, so it's the perfect place to start. Writing it forces you to get clear. You can't write something vague. You've got to choose words. If you need help knowing how to write an effective goal statement, read The Jackrabbit Factor. You can go get it free at jackrabbitfactor.com. Just download it. Or you can go get it off of amazon.com if you prefer to have a paperback. Rule number six. I know that whatever I need to accomplish my goal will be drawn to me once I have planted the seed in my mind. I know that all I need is on its way. Therefore, it's so. Knowing that it's on its way makes it so. Choosing to believe it's on its way makes it so. You don't believe it's on its way because it's on its way. It's on its way because you believe it's on its way. And another thing I'd like to throw in here is the radio analogy. Picture having a radio in the room where you're at right now. When you turn on the radio and it broadcasts music, you hear the music coming from the radio, did it attract the music? No. It didn't suck the music into the room. It didn't bring music to it. The music was already there. The receiver just made it audible, and we are like a radio. The circumstances of our life the way they are is like our broadcast. People can see what's in your life. You can see what's in your life. The radio makes music audible. We make the thoughts that we have visible by the kind of life that we manifest. It's not so much law of attraction as it is law of vibration or frequencies. Everything in the world is vibrating on a molecular level, and they're vibrating at different frequencies. And objects and things that are compatible with each other are going to be vibrating at harmonic or compatible frequencies. And so it's like the acorn. It's only going to vibrate and resonate with the particles that are in harmony with its vibration. And so we are going to continually find in our life the things that are compatible with our thoughts. If we want things to change in our life, we have to change our thoughts because choosing different thoughts changes our feelings and our emotion, and it's the emotion that sets up those frequencies and that vibration. Your feelings are just a conscious awareness of a particular vibration. So that's kind of getting deep, and I didn't mean to go that deep yet, but as you plant the seed in your mind, you're setting up a new vibration. And you can trust that the things in your environment that will help you get there will begin to resonate with you. You'll be in the elevator with somebody and where you may not have thought to say hi or they might not have thought to say hi, suddenly you're in the vibration where they are compelled to say hello and you might find out that that's the person who has connections with the person who has the resource you're looking for. These connections are so, so fragile and they happen so frequently and so dependably when you're on the right frequency for what you want. Now, how do you get in the right frequency for what you want? You picture yourself with it and answer the question, how will it feel when 
that's a part of my life. That's how you do it. And staying in that vibration is what brings it to you quicker and when you'll recognize the resources and the connections that will get you there quicker. So rule number seven, whatever my circumstances are, I can and will always choose my own thoughts. As I believe that there is only abundance, my eyes will be open to see solutions and opportunities that would otherwise be hidden from my view. I expect to find that which I seek. It is my choice to maintain an expectant mindset, which actually lights the way. Without an expectation, the way remains hidden in the darkness. You have to expect it. Now, after I wrote Jackrabbit Factor, and we had breakthroughs and successes and all kinds of things, life decided to send us some reversals and kind of pulled the rug out from under us a little bit. No, a lot. It was very painful. And it made me question all over again whether or not the principles in the Jackrabbit Factor were really true and do they still work for me and what happened. I thought this was going to work forever. And what I realized is that life needed to teach me some deeper lessons and fine-tune my understanding of how it works. And I'm happy to say that they are still true, but it took about two years of floundering and searching and digging to come to that conclusion again. And the answers that I got have been worked into the sequel to The Jacobit Factor. And there's a piece that I want to share with you. There is a piece near the end of Portal to Genius, which, by the way, if you get Portal to Genius, you can also find that on Amazon.com or portaltogenius.com. It includes the full Jackrabbit Factor text in the beginning of it. So it's a thicker book, but it's because it's got the original Jackrabbit Factor in it. So if you're thinking about getting a Jackrabbit Factor paperback, you might as well go ahead and get Portal to Genius so you can get them both together. But there is a part near the end where Richard and Felicity, they're going to a restaurant, and they are out of money. Their greatest fear has come upon them. And, you know, this story's in there because it's something we lived, (laughs) my husband and I, And the uh, interesting thing is, as I was writing Portal to Genius, I wasn't quite sure how it was going to end because I knew I needed to write it. It was one of those things that had to be done. It was inside of me and had to come out. But I was a little confused because I didn't know how it was going to end. And I hit a writer's block, a huge one. And the impression came to me very strong and clear that said, you cannot write the ending yet because you haven't lived it. Oh, dear. (laughs) Because when I hear stuff like that in my heart, I know something big's coming and something big doesn't usually come unless there's a lot of pain first. So I put the book down and I braced myself and we just went back to life and put the principles to work as best as we knew how. And about six months later, we were able to face our greatest fears, some of them, which were running out of money and all the resources, all the visible resources were down to pretty much nothing. And we had a lot of obligations coming and we had no idea where the money was going to come from. And you know what was interesting is that in that place, we'd been fighting and fearing that for about two years. And once it was finally upon us, we realized, oh, we're still here. We didn't blow up. We didn't spontaneously combust. Nothing really happened. It's just there we were. And we were surprised at the level of peace we felt. It was kind of like they say airplanes that go through the sound barrier. Just before breaking through the sound barrier into that perfect stillness, it feels like the whole airplane is going to fall apart. And for a long time there, the pilots wouldn't dare burst through it because they were convinced it was going to kill them if they did. And finally, one man, and I didn't grab his name before getting on this call, but he decided to bust through it. And it felt like he was going to die. It felt like the airplane was going to fall apart. And he pushed through it, and there was perfect peace on the other side of it. And that's kind of what happened to us. And so as we're experiencing this, it was our anniversary, and we decided, you know what, could we just put aside our money woes for just two hours and go out to eat at one of our favorite restaurants? We hadn't allowed ourselves to go out to eat for probably a year because we just couldn't justify the expense. But here we were. We were already at the end of everything, and we had a little bit of money left, and we thought, why not? Let's just go enjoy ourselves and make plans. Let's see. What are we going to do with our lives? How are we going to turn this around? Where are we going to be in 10 years? Let's start dreaming again. Because we knew this is a temporary inconvenience. We weren't going to allow ourselves to stay there forever. So what does 10 years from now look like? Let's daydream about that. Let's answer the question, what will it feel like when? And we're getting to practice these principles all over again, even after the book was written. So we go out to dinner. We have a great time. The ideas start firing. We start planning. We start getting excited again about our future. Didn't know where we were going to get the money to pay our bills the next week. But you know what? We had all we need in that moment, and we were grateful for it, and we allowed ourselves to be grateful and express that. And As we're walking out of the restaurant, we paid the bill, we were walking out of the restaurant, we get to the car, and the waiter comes chasing after us, and he's waving our receipt, and he says, for your anniversary, the manager says the meal's on us. 
And we just looked at each other and we smiled and we thanked him and we drove away knowing, knowing without a shadow of a doubt that as long as we are doing what we're here to do, to create value for others, to make a difference in the lives of others, that life was going to continue to support us. And it did. And that next month, we were brainstorming with one of our mentors. And as we were brainstorming, Trevin had a thought. Trevin is my husband. He had a thought. And he expressed that thought. And it's like, that's it. That's it. And we went to work. We put that thought to work. We got busy. And by the end of that month, we generated $43,000. And that was after the end of all of our visible resources. But that idea only came after finding peace in the moment, no matter how bad things looked, and finding joy and gratitude right then and there. So, again, rule number seven, whatever my circumstances are, I can and always will choose my own thoughts. Don't let the circumstances influence your thoughts to have doubt or fear. Doubt and fear will kill anything good that's coming your way. There's another thing I'm going to share with you, but it's in one of the next rules, and I don't want to jump ahead. So I'm going to go on to rule number eight. When I have a choice, I choose to believe. It does me no harm to believe. If I'm wrong, I'll cross that bridge when I come to it. I don't need to cross that bridge ahead of time. In the meantime, I have nothing to lose by believing I choose to believe. It is a choice. For sake of time, I'm going to zoom through a little bit faster. Rule number nine, I will doubt not and I will fear not. It just simply isn't good for me. Doubt and fear are emotions that can put me in harmony with the very thing I fear. I will choose to dismiss fearful and doubtful thoughts because they are mental images of circumstances that may never happen. Why would I ever want to waste mental energy attracting something I don't want? So here's the thing that I wanted to skip ahead to. When you imagine the disaster you want to avoid, if it ends up happening, you've lived it twice. (laughs) So you don't want to do that. But let me say this as well. Your subconscious is designed to keep you safe. It wants to know what's going to happen if you experience the worst case scenario. I used to avoid that thought. I used to avoid... I'm not going to picture the worst-case scenario because I don't want to live it twice. I'm not going to picture it because I don't want to create it if it doesn't have to happen. I'm not going to picture it. I'm not going to answer that question because everything's fine, affirmations, affirmations, I'm wealthy, I'm happy, I'm rich, you know, whatever it was. Trying to stay focused on the positive, all the while my subconscious is saying, yeah, 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 but what if it happens? What are we going to do? If you don't answer the question... If you don't answer that question, I guarantee you, your subconscious mind wants to know because it's designed to keep you alive. It keeps your heart beating. It keeps you breathing. It keeps you going. It keeps you cell dividing. All those things that need to happen, it's doing that for you. And it keeps you safe from danger and disaster. And if it perceives impending doom, it wants an answer. Well, what are you going to do? What are you going to do? Because if you don't give it an answer, the default answer is, we can't handle it. And you end up in fear and doubt anyway. So if you're having that, if you're fighting that, go ahead and answer the question. I had a mentor, a dear friend, Dr. Paul, a friend of ours, who taught me this. And he said, go ahead and answer the question. Just answer it without emotion. He said he had a couple come into his office. He's a counselor. And he had a couple come in who were just fighting like cats and dogs and stressed because they had a $35 utility bill that they couldn't pay. And their their heat was going to get turned off in a couple days. And they were in a cold region. And they were just agitated with each other and they were not being able to think they weren't able to think and he said for crying out loud answer the question what if your electricity gets turned off what are you going to do and they're like you know and they didn't didn't have an answer for it they were freaking out and he says all right let's think of this what are you going to do all right so the heat's off uh how are you going to stay warm have you got blankets uh yeah well okay so you put some blankets on you wear blankets around the house and what about showers uh heat up some water on the stove you can use hot water there And they're like, oh, oh, well, that wouldn't be so bad. And all of a sudden, they can talk civilly to each other again. Now, did they create the problem because they addressed it? Sometimes the problem's going to just come. But addressing it and deciding that, you know what, all right, if that happens, great. We're going to push through it, and we're going to do this on the other side of it. Sometimes you have to project your mind 10 years down the road if what's going on right here and now is just too overwhelming. And as you do that, as you think longer term, it kind of can straighten you out a little bit and put you in the right direction. So don't be afraid to answer the question, but try not to answer it with a whole lot of emotion because if you create the emotion and the fear with it, it can contribute to making it happen when it may not even have to. You can avoid it. If it's avoidable, that's the best way to avoid it. Just go ahead and answer the question, move on. And then get to work doing what you can do to avoid it. All right, but your subconscious will quiet down after that. Rule number 10. I will make sacrifices for wisdom, and I know that it will pay me well. 
I expect to make sacrifices for wisdom. I eagerly make the necessary sacrifice because I know it will be worth the price. Wisdom may be one of the only things I get to take with me, no matter what happens. An investment in my knowledge will pay great dividends. Now, over the years, my husband and I have spent more than $150,000 in personal development training and coaching. So was it worth it? Well, I think so. Was it painful to spend grocery money on a plane ticket to attend an event somewhere across the country? Remember one trip, we went with a can of corn in our backpack, no rental car money when we got there, no room on the credit card to get a rental car, let alone a hotel room. You know, we were just going to sleep in the car. Anyway, that's a story for another time. But what we learned at those events have paid off. And, you know, we went for a long time wondering if it was ever going to pay off. Well, one thing's for sure is if you stop searching, it won't pay off. That's a guarantee. If you do continue searching and you never give up, you can have guaranteed success if you never give up. Rule number 11, I'll get what I ask for out of life. I'll have the courage to ask. I have nothing to lose by asking. If I hear no, then I'm no worse off than before. If I hear yes, then I'll celebrate and I'll learn to expect yes more frequently. Now, here's a funny story. In that book, Success Principles by Jack Canfield, he's got a chapter called Ask, Ask, Ask. And I had just read it when I was looking for endorsements for my book, The Jackrabbit Factor. So (laughs) I asked, and he'd just come back off his campaign, and he wanted to spend time with his family. And he said, no, I'm not doing endorsements right now. And I remembered his instructions. So I thought, well, he said, ask, ask, ask. So I asked again. He said, no, I'm going to spend some time with my family. I'm not reviewing books anymore. And you can imagine I get a lot of these questions. I'm like, okay, but I'd like to be your exception. And I just was brutally tenacious on him. And finally, he had to get a little curt with me. And I realized I was embarrassed, and I apologized. I said, I won't trouble you again. I'm so sorry. And and the lesson I learned from that is, yes, ask, but don't lock onto any one person for what you're looking for. I was pleased that Bob Proctor, Brian Tracy, Alex Mandosian, and a lot of other people did see the gem in my work and were willing to do that. I didn't have to have Jack Canfield. And I should have never discarded that respect for tenacity. I shouldn't have traded respect for tenacity, which leads me to rule number 12. I'll visualize the outcome, and the right people will do the right things to help it happen. It's not for me to know who the right people are. I do not manipulate people with my thoughts. I simply emanate the desires of my heart and move my feet. Others who can help me along the way are also helped by me to accomplish their goals as well. Enough said. Rule number 13. I know that there is more than enough for everybody. If the supply ever ran dry, more would be created out of the formless substance in the same way that it was created in the beginning. There is no need for competition. By operating on a creative plane rather than a competitive plane, my eyes will continue to see opportunities and abundance. Only by my doubt and fear will I ever live in scarcity. When we wanted to move to Arizona, my husband was going to commute, like I said, but ultimately we hoped he'd find work that would pay just as well. So we made a list of what we wanted in a job for him at that time. We'd made a list of how far he was willing to commute, what kind of people he wanted to be working with, what kind of work he wanted it to be, what kind of pay he wanted, and he ended up getting it. So if you can conceive it, it can exist. Even if the economy is so bad that nobody's hiring, quote-unquote, nobody's hiring, you know, out of 6 billion people in the world, somebody's hiring. And surely at least one of them is doing well enough in his or her business to create a new position. Believe that if it doesn't now exist, it will be created for you. In the meantime, work to fill your space where you are right now. When you're bigger than your space, meaning when you're serving in that capacity more than is expected of you, and you're more than filling your space like that, it will no longer be able to contain you. It might take some time. We have a friend. This happened to him. He lost his job. He knew what he wanted, and he was having a hard time finding it. He was out of work for more than a year and finally took a position that was not what he wanted. But he never stopped looking for and expecting the one he wanted. So that interim job took him away from his family. He lived out of state from his family for probably half a year or so. And then the right one opened up 15 minutes from his original home. This was like two years after he set the goal, but it was created for him. Or the one that was created was finally opened up to him. And they ultimately got what they were looking for. Patience? Yeah, you have to have patience. Believing the whole time? Not so easy to do, but that's what you need to do. Rule number 14, I'm expecting. I will allow my objective to happen at the right time. Just as a baby in the womb needs time to develop, so does my new idea. I will be patient and allow it to grow at nature's pace. I want it to arrive fully formed, healthy and strong. If I must wait longer than expected, my anticipation will only increase and I will continue to prepare for its arrival. That was a new thought for me. I'd set a goal and if it didn't happen on the date I expected, I used to throw it out. Now I just let my excitement increase. 
and I continue to prepare for its arrival. Because if I'm 40 weeks pregnant and the baby hasn't come, I'm not going to say, oh, I guess it's not coming. (laughs) I'm going to be a little more expectant each day, and that's what we can do with our goals too. Rule number 15, I will write a detailed description of my life. I will write it just as I want it, as though it has already happened with a future date at the top like a journal entry. I will allow myself to feel gratitude as though it is already mine. I will experience it now. Again, if you want some help on how to do this, go get a copy of the Jackrabbit Factor, free download at jackrabbitfactor.com. You can even go do it right now while you're listening to me if you want. You may have to confirm your request. It's how we keep from sending it to people who don't expressly ask for it. But moving on, rule number 16, I know that that which I desire is looking for me. I love this one. Nature is friendly to my plans. I only have to go halfway because that which I desire meets me in the middle. Each step I take towards the goal, it takes another step towards me. And I picture that in my head. I know that as I do something today to get closer, it got twice as close. This is a rule I could depend on. I know that as I continue to move toward the accomplishment of my goal, the outcome is approaching me just as rapidly. And I'm personally practicing that one right now. In fact, my company, we hold advanced trainings too, and they're not cheap. We train leaders who want to create an income helping others. We help authors get their books done and show them how to be profitable. Many authors never even make back what it costs them to get the book done, but we show them how to earn six or seven figures with proven strategies that we've paid to learn and that we've implemented over the last 10 years. We help speakers and other leaders take their message to an international audience. And how do we find our clients? By using this rule number 16. I do my part to prepare for them. I create the programs. I prepare myself. And those who need what we have to offer are led to us. They might find us because someone they know mentions one of my books and they feel a strange curiosity about it until they naturally are drawn to find out what all we do. And all the while, I'm picturing people being led to me. I'm doing advanced training where I work personally with people on how to become an effective and profitable mentor. Since I don't have time to run around the country looking for my five, I mention it here and there. And those five people who already do exist out there somewhere are already feeling a need and searching For me, they might not know it's me they're searching for, but the right connections happen at the right time. We meet at the right time, and in the meantime, it's my job to be at peace and do today's work to the best of my ability. I'm not here on this call to sell those five seats. It's a $3,000 ticket price, which is far beyond what most people would ever fathom spending on training. And today, what I'm offering is less than 20 bucks. But if you're interested in this mentor training, look me up online and send me an email, and I'll let you know what you need to do to qualify for one of those thoughts. Rule number 17. I will scrutinize each word in my goal or gratitude statement. I will write a future date at the top, a date I hope to see the dream come true. The date is far enough away to be believable, but close enough to keep me awake at night. I will only choose words for my gratitude statement which make me think of the positive aspects of the dream. I will write it in present tense and describe how it feels now that I enjoy the success. I will follow the format date. I am so happy and grateful now that I enjoy blank because of blank. Again, I've got a whole chapter in the Jackrabbit Factor to help you with this piece. Go get it for free at jackrabbitfactor.com. Rule number 18, there's just two rules left. Goal first, weigh second. Goal first, weigh second. I will not select the goal based on a way I already have in mind. If I do, then I am not dreaming big enough. I will select the goal based on the desires of my heart. The way will come after the goal is properly set, after I have composed an internalized my gratitude statement. Now, my family just practiced this recently. I had mentioned at the beginning of the call we had just gotten back from New York. My family spent about three weeks in New York, and we made the commitment to do that about a year ago at a time when we couldn't see how we were going to make it happen. Couldn't see it. But we made the commitment knowing that, all right, if we make the decision now, a quality decision is what sets things in motion. We're going to decide to do it even before we see the way. And the way showed up right about February. (laughs) Little pieces of it showed up, and it didn't fully come together until the month and the days and the weeks that we were actually there. And so you've got to be willing to live by faith a little bit and not let the fear rule you. The final rule, rule number 19, I know exactly what fear is, and it doesn't stop me. If I feel fear or anxiety related to achieving my goal, I know it's simply my subconscious mind wrestling with two contradictory truths, such as I am broke and I am wealthy. When it's taken two statements like that to be true and it believes them both, you're going to feel anxiety. Fear is evidence that I have successfully turned over the new idea to my subconscious mind through emotion. And if I persist in spite of the fear, I will overcome the old programming in the face of anxiety 
I will proceed anyway. Now, I have a whole 80-minute video you can watch online on this, which will help you understand the fear and see it in a whole new light. I'll help you see why you can get really happy and excited when you feel fear, because in reality, it is an indicator of something incredible. I'm not going to spoil it by trying to explain it any deeper than that here. I don't have enough time to do that anyway, but if you'll go get the Jackrabbit Factor free download, you'll be sent an email that tells you where to find and watch that video for free. So take the next step. When a family is under financial stress, everything else about family life suffers. Relationships are strained, tempers are short, opportunities are lost, talents lie dormant, and sometimes the family falls apart completely because they didn't know what I'm so eager to share with you. So again, go get your free downloadable PDF copy of The Jackrabbit Factor at jackrabbitfactor.com. If you decide to get Portal to Genius so that you can have both of them in paperback form, it's all in one book. I checked on Amazon about two hours ago. There were still some in stock. So there, we've gotten through it. I'm going to hang around if anybody has any questions. Just wanted to thank you again for joining me for this call. I hope that something here has given you the hope, the spark, the idea, the something to get you closer to where you're trying to go. And ultimately, I'd love to be the one to personally help you get the rest of the way as well. So thanks for listening. Does somebody have a question? Hello? Yes. Yes, ma'am. I want to ask you real quickly. Can you, I know you had to cover a lot. Can you repeat the website again a little slower? Yes. Sure I Sorry about that. It right. The 19 rules of prosperity that I just went through during this call can be found at 19, the number one nine, rules of prosperity.com the jackrabbit factor book download the free download is at jackrabbit factor j a c k r a b b i t f as in frank a c t o r.com jackrabbitfactor.com if you want portal to genius you can go to portal to genius.com and that is spelled P-O-R-T-A-L T-O-G-E-N-I-U-S dot com so hopefully that helps you there we are out of time I'm going to sign off now but again thank you everybody for joining us and I look forward to working with you in the future This concludes today's episode of the Rare Faith Podcast. You've been listening to Leslie Householder, author of The Jackrabbit Factor, Portal to Genius, and Hidden Treasures, Heaven's Astonishing Help with Your Money Matters. All three books can be downloaded free at a rarekindoffaith.com. So tell your friends and join Leslie again next time as she goes even deeper into the principles that will help you change your life.